the shame and the suffering for your sake, for my sake. Whosoever will, he said, let them come. Oh, your sins, they may be scarlet red. He said, I'll make them white as snow. I came to redeem the lost, Christ said. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. I mean, think about this, guys. Paul is wanting us to understand this picture, this understanding that Almighty God was willing to humble Himself to the point of a servant. Even unto the point of death on the cross. When you and I reflect and we think about that level of humility, how dare we not be willing to show grace, forgiveness, love to those around us. You see, Paul knows that one of the greatest dangers of a local church is the ability for the enemy to use good people to sometimes bring great divisions. This section of Scripture is there for the point of unity. And we see it laid out here in the Scripture. This whole section, he is citing the example of Christ. And now he's going to begin to to exemplify through our sacrifice. Christ is our example. It'll help us know how we're to live out our faith in such a dark day. When there's great division in our world, there's no need for it to be within the house of God. And so, let's see again in the Scriptures what God has to say. You notice in um, verse 17 and 18, we'll see sacrifice here. And and specifically, uh, we're going to see verse 17. Let's, Let's read this section of Scripture. He says, Paul says, Yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith... I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Remember, he's been talking about already, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This idea of outpouring. Again, in the Old Testament, you can find this in in Numbers, uh, where specifically it's mentioned that whenever there would be a sacrifice, oftentimes there would be wine which would be poured out before the sacrifice was made. Even the pagan practice of that day in that area, they would oftentimes pour that wine on top of the sacrifice. The idea when you see wine in the Old Testament, a lot of times it's there to express joy, jubilation, rejoicing. And so when you think about what Paul is saying here in these words, because he's told us, hey, I may die. I'm in prison because of of sharing the gospel. There's a real strong likelihood I could die. And yet I've wrestled through this in my own heart and mind, Paul says, to live is Christ. If I'm going to be alive, my purpose, fill in the blank, remember that message, is to serve Christ. That's the point and purpose of our life, guys. Nothing else. Glorify God. That's my purpose. That's your purpose. Point others to Christ Jesus. Paul says, to live is Christ. 
to die is gain. So he's, again, coming back to this idea. Hey, I may, I may, be, I may be not able to return to you. I, I may die. But if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service, notice what he says, of your faith, of your faith. Paul knows the testimony of the Philippians. He recognizes the sacrifices that this poor church has made for the furtherance of the gospel. He knows that, right? And so, yet he recognizes that and he's willing to go that route, bless you, my brother, if that's necessary. The sacrifice that Paul is willing to make he recognizes that his life calling is an outpouring. It's an offering that he is willing to make. I wonder this morning how many of us could say such a thing. How many of us are willing to offer the sacrifice of faith? You see, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We oftentimes operate not on faith, but sight. We don't believe it if we can't see it. And yet, the very Word of God oftentimes is promises that are not yet fulfilled. Blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. That's you guys. We weren't here when Christ was crucified. We have the eyewitness accounts. We have the testimonies that have been shared. We have the revealed Word of God that's been recorded for us to read and see and understand. But it's by faith that we put our confidence and trust in Christ alone. Well, that causes a sacrifice sometimes in life, doesn't it? To stand apart from the world and stand with Christ to have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus means we're going to think and do things differently. And sometimes the way we do those things is not going to be accepted by the world. And sometimes it's not even accepted by fellow believers. It's a sacrifice. Paul knows this. He's trying to encourage the Philippian believers of such a sacrifice. He recognizes their sacrifice and he also recognizes their service of faith. Again, remember, they had taken this offering and, and sent it to him. And at this point, they basically have not much left to give. There's very little in which they can support his ministry. So instead, you know what they do? They send probably one of their pastors, Paphroditus. We'll, see, we'll hear about him in a little while. It's believed that he was possibly one of their fellow pastors. And they sent him to go help Paul. We want to send you to be an encouragement to him. We know he's in prison. We know he might die. Go lift our brother up. Go encourage our brother. The service of faith. There are many positions in this church that need to be filled. There are many roles and responsibilities that need to be taken up that only you can take up. As believers in Christ, again, you fit somewhere in this body. The question is, God, where do you want me to serve? And again, if you're not serving, I beg you, begin to pray and ask God, where would you have me serve this local church? There's a place. For many of us, it's multiple places. <laughs> and that's okay. 
We must guard against burnout. We must guard against uh, uh, not taking too much ownership over certain roles and responsibilities. That's another danger we must guard our hearts against. We want you to have invested ownership because if you believe in something, then you're invested in it, right? There's a level of healthy ownership. There's also an unhealthy. Remember, guys, all of us, starting with this pastor, I simply feel a role. And it's not my role. It's God's. And at any given time, He's done with me. That's His call. I don't own this role. He owns this role. Now, my desire is to honor Him in this role. Your desire should be to honor God in your role. Whatever position He calls you to to serve, you need to serve with sacrifice of faith and you need to serve in faith. Trust in God. Paul wants the Philippians to be encouraged in the area of sacrifice. I know it takes time. Look, you think these guys that were here last night... I'm sure there's a lot of other places they would have rather been than here at 9 a.m. and here at 10 o'clock last night, not even having breakfast and lunch, some of them. And by the way, I apologize for that. I should have went and got y'all something. That's terrible of me. Thank you, a keto pizza. That's on the request. I've gotten that three times, honey. We've got to have that made for them. Next deacon's meeting. I like that. Oh, y'all heard it. Write it down. All right. But it takes sacrifice. It does. That's a commitment. Hey, newsflash, for those of you who are married, for those of you who are getting married, you might want to take notes. You better believe there's going to have to be sacrifice. There's going to have to be commitment. Because sometimes marriage can get tough. Hey, sometimes church can get tough. Sacrifice and commitment. What has God called us to, guys? He's called us to take up our cross and follow Him. All right? And so, Paul, again, is encouraging those in this area. We recognize the salvation that God has worked in. He, we talked about that sanctification and our responsibility to work it out, and, and now we see the sacrifice. Um, but also... Uh, I want to talk about not just the outpouring and the offering, but I want you to notice the outcome of such a sacrifice. Notice what the outcome is when you and I purpose our life to honor Christ. You want to know what the outcome is? Look, if you would, here again in this last part of, of verse 17. Yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. You know what Paul's saying there? When we're willing to sacrifice, lay aside our differences, lay aside our preferences for the sake of unity, to pursue the mind that was in Christ Jesus, who was willing to lay down his life for the sake of others, for what was best for the whole. You notice what he's, he does here? You notice what we see in the Word of God? The outcome is mutual joy. You see, happiness, again, we talk about this all the time, is based on your happenings, and sometimes our happenings stink, and so we're not very happy. But joy is a peace when the world is falling apart. 
there's a lot of restless hearts in Christians today. And as a pastor, that grieves me. We're not to be like the world. Look, I understand. I understand the frustration. I understand uh, some of the political climate and the fear of the uncertainty. But please hear me. Christ is just as much on the throne today as He ever was. Nothing changes that. Why do we have meltdowns and fall apart and the wheels come off because things don't go our way? i got to trust a sovereign God. And sometimes when we trust a sovereign God, you know what that causes us to do? It causes us to take steps of faith that aren't very popular. That's not understood. Christ came unto His own and His own rejected Him. In the final night in the prayer in Gethsemane, in His betrayal, even His closest friends abandoned Him. I'm thankful Christ didn't take a pragmatic approach to the cross. Well, I guess if it works, mm -mm. He submitted to the will of the Father and He obeyed it. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, thy will. Man, I love that prayer. Because that's a real struggle, isn't it? That's a real struggle. That's the emotion of Jesus, the humanity side of Christ coming out in His full 100% humanity. He knew in His omniscience that the cross was coming. As the fully God-man, He knew what was coming. He knew that cross was there. He knew He was going to have to endure that suffering and that shame. And yet, He still... Surrendered, not my will, thy will. Trusted by faith to the Father in His actions, if you will, to do what God called Him to do. Christ, co-equal, co-eternal, God in the flesh, but submissive in His role and His responsibility as the cross-bearer, as the sanctifier, as the redeemer. Hey, he says later, I, I go away, but I'll send another, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal. In essence, God. in responsibility and function, role, if you will, submissive difference in function. There's a lesson Paul's wanting the church to understand. And so, we see the outcome 
understanding this context. He's just encouraged the church, don't, don't do things with complaining and disputing. I want you to be blameless. I want you to be harmless children without fault. The world's doing this. Don't you do this. That's what the world does. Don't be a rebel rouser. They're the rebel rouser. Don't bring contention when contention's not what's needed. Without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And he says, holding fast the word of life. This is the mind of Christ. You and I want to know how to think? This is how we think. Not the latest journal. Not the latest broadcast. Thus saith the Lord. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Hey, he gave us a piece of his mind. It's called the Word. Right? Somebody want, hey, I'll give you a piece of my mind. No, I don't need, I, I, I'm having a hard enough time with the piece of mind God's given me. But it produces mutual joy. It produces, church, when we take on this humility, it, it, as was found in Christ, it creates a mutual joy. I love America. I pray America is, is, is repentant and that God will shine grace upon this great nation again and that we might be revived and flourish again. I, I, I do. I pray that. But I recognize that there's a kingdom that you and I are citizens of that supersedes this kingdom. And so, if I'm going to live out my faith in the way of sacrifice, it may be an outpouring. It may be an offering of Sacrifice of faith and service of faith. But there's an outcome that should be a mutual joy. But that requires sacrificial ministry. Are, are you and I willing to, to commit that? Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I beg you. I beg you, brothers. Sisters, when you think about what Christ did on the cross, I'm paraphrasing here, but listen. When you observe the mercies of God, because let me just ask this question. Was God merciful to you? To me? When we were enemies? Not friends, guys. Enemies. Enemies. He took on the form of a man and He came and He died for you. In spite of all my wicked thoughts and deeds, my blackened heart, He loved me 
and demonstrated His love for me at Calvary, while I'm still yet a sinner, He's willing to die for me. That's the love of Christ. I beg you, Paul says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Set apart from the world in how we think and how we do things. Holy. This is your reasonable act of worship, guys. He's not asking us when you take in consideration the cross of Calvary and what Jesus has done for me, done for you when He was God and He emptied Himself, come on the, and took on the form of a man and suffered the shame and guilt that you and I deserved. I beg you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Look, this is your reasonable act of worship. God's not asking you to do something that's not even reasonable. I mean, it, it almost seems, un, I mean, it's like it'd be unreasonable to not want to live for Christ. It wouldn't be unreasonable to not want to be purposeful in, in sacrificial ministry. So, the outcome of a sacrificial life should be mutual joy in a sacrificial ministry. Paul then gives us further examples, as if Christ is not an example enough. Notice what he does next. He gives us uh, three servants that we can also look at. You have the Apostle Paul, who obviously is writing this, and throughout this letter, from the start to where we are and to the end, Paul is that example. You hear his words, you see his, you know, his life, Paul is that example. Then we see Timothy, and we'll look at that as we unpack that. That'll be in 19 through 24. And then we're going to also see Epaphroditus. Okay? 25 through 30. A very wise mentor of mine once, when I was just starting out in ministry, he challenged me. And by the way, guys, if you're not meeting with someone for accountability, can I encourage you right now, just find someone. I know the ladies' group has their small groups and, and things like that, but guys, uh, you know, we, we need, all of us need accountability, spiritually speaking. Okay? Apostle Paul is going to give us this example. He's laying this out, and throughout all his writings, we see this as an example. I, I know it may come to a, a shock to some of you, but pastor does not, uh, he doesn't fly this plane nor steer this ship by himself. Okay. First and foremost, I rely wholly and solely and completely upon the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I rely on your prayers to change the heart when it's not hearing or heeding the Word of God. Because I recognize the Word of God says that it has the power. I appreciate Dean's article he posted this week on the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It avails much. I know there's been times in my ministry, and Dean can vouch for this in his own ministry, uh, that there's been times where we're going in a certain direction and the small, sweet voice of the Holy Spirit begins to whisper and say, hold on. 
dependent upon the prayers of the saints. We need each other. We need accountability. If you're not meeting in a small group, someone who spiritually builds you up. Listen, again, we got to separate from the world. I know you got your friends you love to do things with, but let me ask you this. Who are your friends that are spiritually investing in you? Because if you're hanging out with folks that aren't spiritually investing in you, you need to find some who will. I'm not saying forsake your unbelieving friends. In fact, what I'm saying is get built up in the faith so you can actually be a true friend to those lost friends. Because now you'll begin to understand the purpose of a sacrificial life and a sacrificial ministry that's going to cause you to want to plead with the lost man about their eternal condition. And that's what we need. I'm very thankful for the young men that are meeting uh, with me on Monday nights. We meet every other Monday night and there's a group and it's been growing. There's about five of us that just get together faithfully and consistently. And we've been doing it for quite a while. And, and the things that are being discussed and coming out is, is encouraging to this pastor's heart. My wife has begun to do the same thing with some of the ladies, the spouses of these men that I'm meeting with. And let me just tell you guys, it is so encouraging. Now, our goal is to do this, Lord willing, for about a year. And then, uh-oh, letting the cat out of the bag, we're going to encourage them to now go and do likewise. Because, see, I'm a firm believer of what the Word of God says, that we're called to make disciples. Teaching them the Word of God. Not my opinions, not my preferences. Teaching them the Word of God. And that I, by doing so, I'm entrusting to faithful men and women that they in return will entrust to faithful men and women. That's why this church exists, exists today. Because people like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus were faithful to the gospel and passed it on to people who were faithful with the gospel, who passed it on to people who were faithful with the gospel, and on and on and on till today. Praise God for God's plan for the church. Had a wise guy tell me, not a wise guy like, hey, I'll just smack you. Not that kind of wise guy. Baseball bat to the knee. Not that wise guy. But a smart guy, a very full of wisdom kind of guy. He said, Jeremy, you need a Paul in your life who can be a mentor. I'm thankful for the Pauls in my life. Men who've walked longer with the Lord, who share wisdom who've been in my shoes as a pastor, who invest those nuggets along the journey. I have Pauls in my life. And when times are tough and I need counsel, oftentimes I will ask those Pauls. Do you have a Paul? Or a Paulette? <laughs> anyway, sorry. We need these mentors in the faith in our life. Right? Do you have a Timothy? Now, a Timothy is a younger one in the faith. Paul, again, is going to talk about the Timothy here in this section of Scripture. Do you have someone that you're pouring into? Now, listen, if you have children, you got your Timothy. That's the first place, right? But I encourage you to find someone who, who maybe that you can connect with that, that you can invest in. Spiritually speaking. 
And then he said, Jeremy, do you have an Epaphroditus? And Epaphroditus is somebody who's going to come alongside you to encourage you. You've got to have that person who you're kind of on the same footing. You're kind of in the same leg of the race in your spiritual journey. Who's your Epaphroditus? Barnabas is another one. He was an encourager. Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Epaphroditus? We need these three people in our life. And let me just encourage you today, if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this. Ask God. God, give me a Paul. Give me a Timothy. Oh, please, Lord, give me an Epaphroditus. We all need that. This is what we do as servants under our Lord. And so, Paul lays this out here. Notice Timothy. And we'll look at him first. Verse 19 through 24. Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus. I love that. You know, you hear, I've heard it phrased as a Jeremyism. I can't get credit for that, but it's in the Word of God. But I know some of y'all make fun of me because I got a little phrase I use all the time. I, I know I could say which one is it, and I probably get five different ones right now. Um, Somebody, somebody tell me what, what's, a, what's oftentimes a closing to the end of my conversation if we're going to try and meet up tomorrow. What do I say? Lord willing. Hey, y'all have been listening. <laughs> yeah, Lord willing. And the idea is here too. Now, that's an actual quote in another section of Scripture. Hey, we shouldn't boast for tomorrow. Hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. No, no, no. He says instead we should say if the Lord wills, we'll do these things and that. And I remember when that truth first hit me, I was like, oh, man. You know, I, that's right, man. It all belongs to God. I need to be careful with that. And so here you see Paul saying, because he's in prison, hey, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know. I'm betwixt between the two. What's going to happen? So what does he say? I trust in the Lord Jesus to do this. I trust in the Lord to send Timothy. Now, it may not happen. Again, he's willing to surrender those plans to God. Lord willing. He says, Lord willing, in essence, I want to send Timothy to you, hopefully shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. That's a shepherd's heart. You see, he looked at the example of Christ, and he knows because he wrote, he held the pen when he wrote the Ephesians 5 passage that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Sacrificial ministry. Paul loves the church. You know your pastor loves the local church. This is God's plan. You should love the local church. It's not this building. It's you. You make up this local church. A pastor's heart is to love his people. I love you people. We need to love each other. We need to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. He loves the local church. Paul here is demonstrating his love for the local church of Philippi. He says, I want to send Timothy to you shortly. You see, Timothy, he cares. Notice verse 19 and 21. He goes on and says, 
I hope to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, hey, there's a lot of people that, that, that labor alongside me, but they just don't seem to have that same pastoral heart that I have for you. And that's okay, they got different ministry. Again, Paul went one way, John Mark went one way, Barnabas went another way. Sometimes that's okay. God's got plans and missions and work that needs to be done. I'm glad there's missionaries. I'm glad that there's folks who are called to different areas of ministry, whether that be a plumber or whether that be a mechanic or whether that be an airline pilot or whether that be a pastor or whether that be a missionary. God has His ministers for the gospel. But Paul knows this church needs some shepherding care. Epaphroditus, we'll talk about him in a second, was sick. Why does Paul send Timothy? Number one, he has a relationship, an established relationship with Timothy. Okay? Can, can I just go on record and say that I am thankful for Pastor Stugelmeyer. I have had a long-standing relationship with this man. He is like minded in the faith. That's exactly what Paul said here. I know that he cares for the sheep. I know that he is concerned with feeding the flock. Not what they want, but what they need. And in a day that's changing, where truth is your truth, my truth, whoever's truth truth, whatever. That's the world's mentality. There's a man that God's calling here, and it's clear that his calling and hand was upon this to establish the truth. Because the truth is already here. You know, truth's not created. It's discovered. And as a pastor, our desire is to help you discover the truth of God's Word. He says, hey, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. There's a way of doing things. I, I, I want Timothy to come to you. You know when I knew Stugelmeyer was a like-minded fella, not in a spiritual front, but just in the first get to know you, and you've probably heard this, guys, but we're sitting in science class. It was summer school, and this time it was, I, was I was volunteering to go. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the drive home. I was sitting in the class, and uh, there's this joker back there, and every time they were talking about electrons and neutrons, I'd say something like croutons, and he'd say, you know, something crazy off the cuff as well, and I'd say, hey, who's this guy back here? And ended up in each other's study group and just got to know each other. And I'm thankful that Christ put our lives together. Over the years, he's been a... Paul in certain situations. He's been a Timothy in certain situations. He's definitely been an Epaphroditus and a Barnabas. So just like Paul in recommending to the church at Philippi, someone who's like-minded, someone who cares for them, just like he cares for them, is important. And Timothy was such a man. Pastor Mark Stugelmeyer is such a man. 
He cares for your spiritual well-being. I knew this also too, that he, he, was, he was concerned with truth. Whenever I was getting my hair cut, Winston Sodom, North Carolina, Winston Salem, North Carolina. And I found out the young lady cutting my hair was a Jehovah's Witness. Now you guys know my routine. I've had a lot of bad haircuts over the years because I use my haircuts as an opportunity to witness for Christ. You just can't go in too early with the witness. <laughs> Ended up, this young lady had a lot of questions because she wasn't an official Jehovah's Witness. She was just sort of had been going and was, had curious questions about spiritual things. So I began to witness and share with her and, and then uh, ended up and said, hey, why don't, why don't you come over for dinner and, with my wife and I and, and we'll talk about it. She says, well, can I bring a couple of friends? I said, yeah, that'd be fine. Well, I found out she was bringing a couple of JWs. So I knew we was in trouble. It's going to be a fight. So I remember we began to ask all of our classes, because in, in, in Bible college, praise God for, for those moments, especially at that time in my life, I needed that kind of environment. They always open the start of class with prayer, any prayer requests. So we, hey, we, we, we need to pray. We're meeting with some JWs, you know, having them over for supper, and we're going we're gonna to talk to them about the Lord. Ooh, big problem. We live on a Christian college campus in a married dormitory. They're going to turn around as soon as they see the sign out front. Stugemeyers. They lived off campus, had an apartment. Yeah, man, y'all come over to our house. Come over to our house. We'll do it here. So we go over there and we, you know, have them in. It was, you know, good, kind fellowship at first, talking and so forth and so on. And then time to get down to the nitty-gritty. We begin to talk. And you've heard of Bible ping pong, and it's kind of a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And just didn't seem like in the moment we were getting, getting too far. And then the lady who cut my hair had an aha moment. Now to God be the glory, because the Holy Spirit just enlightened that moment. And she goes, you know, to her two JW friends, I understand what he's saying. That actually, that makes sense. Oh my, these two back came off the couch because they saw they were getting ready to lose her. You know, they got kind of panicky. And, and, and so then the guy says something to me and, I, and he, he made a false statement and I called him on it. I said, that's not true. And, and, and so he begins to, you know, quote First John, which is their go-to. You know, this article right here. I said, well, that's interesting because I actually have a Greek New Testament right here. Could... You, and as soon as I began, I mean, he, as soon as I pulled it out and got ready to leave, he goes, you sneaky snake, stood up. Did he not? Got an eyewitness. He leaps up off the couch and he goes, you sneaky snake. We're done here. Let's go. Let's go. And he's pulling them out the door and the girl that cuts my hair is like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, well, we were just level. Me, Allison, Rebecca, and Mark were like, whoa. <laughs> that changed quick, didn't it? I mean, it's like, wow. A couple of weeks later, I go in, follow up, get my hair cut. How's things going? Find out the young lady shares that she's since backed away from going there. And she said, right now, I think I'm just going to take a break from all this religion stuff. You know, I extended, hey, if you'd love to come with us sometime, we'd love to have you. Just try to keep it real gentle in that moment because she clearly was confused, which the enemy loves to do is bring confusion. 
Now, I, I wish I could tell you at the end of the story, I don't know, it's still being written. I, I pray I get to heaven one day and we realize that that was a seed planted or watered because there was an aha moment. And then she tells me this. The couple that came with her, the wife ended up reporting the husband and he had gotten dis... What's the word? Dis, excommunicated from the Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> for his actions. Hey... I don't know if that's a bad thing, guys. I actually think that's probably a good thing. I knew then the Stugelmeyers were like-minded people. Their life was about the gospel. That's the kind of people we need to surround ourselves with. That's the kind of people that needs to hold us accountable and challenge us to seek after Christ. Paul knows this about Timothy. That's why he's recommending him to the church at Philippi. He is suggesting. He says, look, I, I want to send him. I, I know you're... And look, I'm going to be encouraged when he gets there and I find out you're doing you know, well. He's going to let me know, and that's important because right now I need some encouragement. He said, but I don't have anybody like-minded who will certainly can care for your state, if I might add, like he will. Because most seek after their own things. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But, you know, he also, not only you know this about Timothy that he cares, but we also see his character. Notice what we find here in verse 22. But you know his proven character. And as a son with his father... He served with me in the gospel. Now, what is Paul saying there? He's saying, look, man, this guy's like a... He's like my kid. He, 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 I love him like a son. Guys, I, I have been sometimes uh, accused of, of, of... I'm not your child, you know. A shepherd's heart. I'm sorry you get mad at me, but you are. You're my children. I mean, that's how I see you. Not in, a, not in a derogatory, like a lesser than, or, you know, because that's not how I treat my children. I know my responsibility with my children is to pour into them, to, to love them as part of my family, to be willing to lay down my life for them, to encourage them when they need to be encouraged. I want my children, I've tried to teach my children this. You've seen the meme out there that, that says basically when you do something wrong that your first thought is not, oh no, we can't tell dad. Or it should be, oh no, we need to go tell dad. I, I want the heart of my children to be cultivated in such a way that they know they can safely trust in their dad. As a pastor, my desire is that you can safely trust in your pastor that when things aren't right or we've messed up, that you're not going to get hit with condemnation and judgment. But that you'll be met with grace. And you know what separates the two? God's Word tells us. God resists the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. This was our study this past week. We've been going through James, and this is the very scripture that we were in this past uh, last Monday. And, and there was a great question. One of the things that we do, I've been asking everybody to anonymously write down questions so that we can talk about real life issues. And one of the questions that was asked, and it was a great 
question. What do you do when you're struggling with a sin? But you're afraid to tell someone, you're afraid to go to someone because you're afraid that it, it, it might end up leading to church discipline. That's a real question. Holy Spirit prompting. We just finished reading James. Well, what's God's thought on this? God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The same thing that happens in my house. Loving correction comes in different forms. When my children come to me and their mom and they say, hey, I messed up, and they confess that, they're met with grace. They're met with love. Now, there might be some consequences. You know, can't, can't be on the computer the rest of the day. I appreciate you telling me, but you can't have the computer the rest of the day. You know, but had you not come to us, it, it would have been more severe. Thank you, honey. Thank you, son. Whatever the case may be. But you know how we handle the same situation that if, they, if they're puffed up about it and they want to get that little sassy teenage attitude <laughs> or they want to push back or they want to demand their rights. Not that my kids do that. So, well, anyway. <laughs> That's when it's met with firm discipline. Because that's the love of the Father. That's the love of a heavenly Father. Let's be real clear. That's the desire of the leadership of this church. And so when Paul says, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you. He's like-minded in these things. He says, I love this guy like a son. He's the spiritual son of the faith. Now it's possible he actually led Timothy to the Lord in his first missionary journey. And that's another thing. And I definitely, definitely look at those that I've had the privilege of, of leading to Christ and see them come to know and trust Christ, that I truly look at them in a very special way of, of, of like a spiritual father. Now don't take that in a, in a wrong way or a negative way or a belittling way. Absolutely not. That's a God-honoring way. That's a praise-glory-to-God kind of way. Timothy's character was such. Paul knew this about him. You want to do a good character study? Check out Timothy, man. You know? His grandmother, his mother, came to know Christ before him. No doubt began to share the Scripture with him. They knew the Scripture. They poured it into him. Paul says this and he's writing to Timothy. You know the Scriptures lead to salvation, man. You know this better than anybody. You know your grandma and your mama, right? Some of y'all, y'all some mamas and some grandmamas. Praise God for those mamas and grandmamas. Pour in the Word, pour in the Word. Timothy's one of those. Keep sacrificing the sacrifice of faith. You, you got some kids and some grandkids that you're sowing into. Let this be encouragement. Timothy cares. You see his character. Then we see Epaphroditus, and let's close this out. Epaphroditus. And you'll notice verse 25 to 30. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger... And the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem 
because for the work of Christ, He came close to death, not regarding His life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Here's what we see about Epaphroditus, and we'll go through these quick. We see his commitment. Again, what's your commitment this morning to the cause of Christ? Is it like Epaphroditus? Paul says he was a brother. Again, you guys are my brothers and sisters. You see, Jesus himself said, Hey, uh, uh, your mom and dad, your, your family, he said, look, my mother and my father are those who do the will of God. My brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. That's the mentality we take on. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the commitment to the cause of Christ. Epaphroditus was not only referenced as a brother, he's seen as a worker. A worker for the cause of Christ. Are you a worker for the cause of Christ? We should be. Whatsoever things you do, do heartily, wholeheartedly unto the glory of God. Work for Christ. Wherever God has you planted, He has you there for His namesake. Never forget that. Wherever you are, you are His missionary for where you are planted. Flourish for Him. That's why you're there. And then this is important too. Paul recognized this characteristic in Epaphroditus. He was a soldier. He was willing to fight. Guys, there's a time to fight. There's a time to fight when, it's a, when we're fighting for truth, when it comes to the truth of the gospel. And specifically in the context of what we're studying here, we strive for unity. That sounds strange, but sometimes we fight for unity. His commitment. He was a brother, he's a worker, he's a soldier, and he's a messenger. Are you a messenger for Christ? Do you bring glad tidings? Do, do you deliver the mail <laughs> to those around you for the cause of Christ? Well, here's the conclusion. Let's sum it up. Christians, it's time to get into shape. We need to work out what God has worked in. Salvation with fear and trembling. Sanctification without muttering or complaining. Sacrifice with presenting ourselves as a sacrificial ministry. That means giving up some stuff to do what you know is best. Sometimes we got to give up some stuff to do what's best. And servants, we should be servants with care for one another in character and commitment. The result is unity in Christ because of the gospel. And we will be set apart for mutual joy, shared by all, shared by all, for the cause of Christ. We have the ultimate example in Christ emptying Himself. We have the example of Paul. We have the example of Timothy. 
we have the example of Epaphroditus. May God help us also be that example. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. I thank you for this message today. I thank you for the timeliness in which you've faithfully given us your word week after week, especially over this past year, the various things and circumstances that have come into our lives. You're still on the throne. Lord, I thank you for friendships. I thank you for relationships that are gospel-centered. I'm thankful for servants um, that represent and embody the character and the care and the commitment of uh, Timothy and of Paul. I'm thankful we have many of those here in our midst. Both men and women who, who serve faithfully, sacrificially. Lord, encourage them. Encourage them in their walk. Help them to be lifted up in their spirit today that their role in the team is a very important one and we just need to not grow weary in well-doing because in due season we will reap. And we believe that because of who you are, because of your name, because of your namesake. And it's in that name above every name that we pray and we ask this day that you help us go from here and shine our lights in a dark world. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Don't forget we have a brief business meeting. So I would ask our members just if y'all want to stand and greet uh, those that uh, will be heading out. And then we'll just uh, give about a few minutes and we'll uh, return for business. Thank you.